Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Bob, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. Last time we talked for a while about film, FBI's influence in the film. It's a crazy world. I started looking into the entertainment industry a little bit more, talking to film scholars, and they analyze it a little bit differently. They look for like things of like where film has evolved, but diving into the Cold War and just talking to people about either Nixon on screen or a certain president on screen or certain depictions on screen, I start going, my whole movie life is a lie. Bambi was not Bambi's mother was not killed in the beginning. It's all a lie. No, he's killed by Godzilla. Everybody knows that. So, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, um, especially in the Cold War era. Um, I know the FBI under, uh, as always under, uh, J. Edgar Hoover initiated a mass media, mass media program. Basically, what that entailed was uh, informing the public of the dangers of the red menace and i could always go like this though there was a red menace it was uh exaggerated uh the the, the uh, dangers domestically were definitely exaggerated by j edgar hoover or joseph mccarthy and people like that and the mass media program initiated by the fbi basically um oh they'd print up pamphlets um They'd influence publishing a lot of places, TVs, movies, Hollywood especially, as far as the dangers of the communist menace. And this was in the post-war era. I mean, starting really like around circa late 40s, maybe 1950 or so. Hoover had this program where basically uh, allied with the church, actually, because the church is anti-communist, okay? Wait, is that because of the Christian ideology? Christian ideology? The, yeah, the Christian beliefs, things of that sort. If it's allied with the church, I'm figuring that that's I well, mean, a lot, all a lot of religious, right-wing. most religious institutions, if not all, are basically against communism. Communism is uh, uh, the state overall. And of course, uh, religion is just another rival for power to communist thinking. And uh, Marxist thinking is always at that. Who needs religion? Religion sucks, all that other stuff. So the thing is, of course, the Catholic Church in this country and Protestant churches and a lot of uh, religious institutions in this country were on the uh, FBI uh, along along with the FBI uh, program, as far as uh, especially uh, churches did, as far as giving out um, pamphlets to their members and such, to worshipers, to parishioners, you know, um, the dangers of the communist menace. Some of these were written by people uh, higher ups in the church. Um, and so besides this, there was um, loyalty oaths came out. You had to sign a loyalty oath to uh, you know, work in a certain industry. That was a controversy in Hollywood for the longest time. People who were, wanted to do, do films, I don't care if you're technical, they don't care if you're, you're, you're the technical end of it or you're the acting end of it. You had to sign the loyalty oath. That came through. Congress made that made that law. You're going to have this loyalty oath. And many industries in the country, not all at the time, but many industries in the country, there was a loyalty oath that people had to sign. They don't care if you manufactured pens. 
you had to sign a loyalty oath, blah, blah, blah. You know, that was, uh, now is the loyalty oath a lot like a contract or was there other things that were entailed into it? Because I believe like there was some scandals about some certain Hollywood figures that would depict either FBI agents or certain government entities, or either the government had a good relationship with, or Hollywood had a good relationship with that would hide some of these scandals where I go, that would be definitely something that would be in the contract. Like if you get caught drinking and driving, don't worry, that story's not going to hit the press. Well, the thing is, the loyalty oath was always uh, not not worth the paper it was written on, as it turns out, because if you were really a member of the Communist Party, and that's basically what the loyal, loyalty oath was about. If you were a member of the Communist Party, you were considered or communists, whether you're part of the party or not, that's it. They had the right, because of their loyalty oath, to fire you from the job. Sometimes they didn't wait for you to sign the loyalty oath, you were fired from the job. Uh, FBI agents were known to be uh, punctilious, if you will, for showing up at the job of an accused communist and embarrassing him in front of him or her in front of the entire office pool. Um, you know, sorry, we see your guy is, uh, you know, somebody there is communist and, you know, that's it. But uh, the thing was, as far as the loyalty oath was concerned, there was a big controversy about in Hollywood. A lot of people, of course, saw the, hey, this is the government telling us what to do, who we had to hire, da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, so there was a, a, a fight back and forth. Ultimately, the loyalty oath did win out, even though McCarthy was later discredited. Um, McCarthy was pretty wild in his accusations, obviously. He did that from the late 1940s into... 1954, when he's brought down by the United States Army and uh, basically accused a lot of the higher ups in, in, the, uh, in the US Army, I mean, you know, of being communist. And uh, during the hearings, uh, he basically was exposed to be uh, a fool, uncontrollable, power mad, which he was. Um, Most people are. <laughs> I guess it depends what industry. I, don't just, uh, I feel Hollywood. like I, if anybody gives you the keys to be president, for me, I would just be like, no, thank you. And people are like, what? Why? You have so much power. I was like, that's the problem is that I know myself. And it's like having superpowers. I mean, if you're going to attack someone or stop a bank robber, you know they're going to break out of jail and probably go after your family and friends. Is it just easier to toss them out a window? I hate to say it like that, but cuts cuts the catch and whatever mat, uh, mouse and cat game down a little bit. In New York, in, in, in New York State's lax bail laws, that's definitely the case. Uh, <laughs> just let him go and let him, uh, you know, murder the witnesses who, uh, you know, got him in jail to begin with, uh, or their families for that matter. Um, unfortunately, it's too common here. But anyway, um, as far as the uh, loyalty oath uh, came out, it's very interesting. Somebody like Joseph McCarthy concentrated on Washington, on the bureaucracy, on accusing, groundlessly accusing people in government, most of the time anyway, groundlessly accusing people in government of being communists. And the thing is, he didn't have anything to do with Hollywood. <coughs> that was the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee. They had the same goals but in different parts of the country. And McCarthy was in, uh, Joseph McCarthy was in Washington, D.C. And the HUAC went out to Hollywood. Actually, HUAC had 
branches, subsidiaries around the country, and they can accuse somebody in a cert. This all happened all through the 1950s, at least the 1950s, and into the 1960s too, where they could still, <coughs> excuse me, was, uh, could accuse people of certain industries. Well, you know, somebody over there is a communist, blah, blah, blah. Albeit in the 1960s, it was not as extreme as in the 1950s, even though, of course, 1960s still had a Cold War situation. I have a question. Yes. So sim similar to in China with the social credit system, if you snitch on someone and say that they're talking bad about the Chinese government, that like they did it to a comedian, the comedian at the club, the club had to close down for six months. And even the people that work for the government said, yeah, we know this isn't true, but you have to shut down. It's kind of like that with the word communism. If you label someone a communist, technically you have to kind of stop all your activities or at least get out of the public eye, even if you have to shut down business for a little bit as well, too. Well, a great difference, of course, there is that if you were arrested in this country, even in the height of the Cold War, you lost your job. You were kind of slandered with the communist brush, as it were. And uh, in a China, uh, they would kill you. <laughs> Very simple. They'd friggin' kill you. They killed you. They'd go after your family. I mean, God, uh, under Joseph Stalin, you won't believe it. They went to uh, the the accused. Chances are who was against, uh, supposedly accused of against uh, the USSR, was, uh, say, he's an enemy of the state and all that. They'd make up the charges nine times out of 10. And they'd get, they'd get the guy's relatives. They'd get their children. They'd get their friends. They'd get people who knew about them. You talk to him, guilt by association over here, blah, 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 blah. And you went to Lubyanka prison in Moscow, where chances are you were lucky to escape with your body parts, if even that. And millions of people, about 20 million, I would say, died in the USSR because Stalin and his foreign minister, Molotov, wanted them dead. And, uh, but I digress from, in America, it was a different story. You were basically, it's interesting that McCarthyism was the woke movement of the day. It was cancel culture of the day. It really was. When you take a look at it, hey, oh, you're a communist. You were communist 10 years ago when, when, when you were blacklisted and lost your job. We're still not going to give you a job right now because you're part of that situation. It depends on what different level of communism you had, of course. There are people who were uh, liberals who were slanted, who were painted with that brush right off the bat, said, oh, you know, no, 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 no. You're against uh, Joseph McCarthy or you're against uh, uh, the capitalist system. And a lot of liberals were not against the capitalist system, but things were exaggerated. They exaggerated the charges a lot, a lot of times. There were some hard-nosed communists who uh, would probably have, at the time, who probably would have been more than happy to have Moscow run things. But there were also a lot of innocent people who would, their jobs were taken away from them because of this, this slander, this universal slander at the time. <coughs> Why? There was a lot of paranoia in this country at the time. Russia, uh, Russia got the A-bomb, partially thanks to the Rosenbergs. Russia got the H-bomb because they had spies working over there. Also, they had spies on the, uh, on, um, oh God, in the uh, New Mexico when they were, uh, well, they, Stalin had spies sent to this country, even when we're allies. That was during the war. He got the A-bomb secret. Later on, years later, he got the H-bomb secret. 
I don't think the Soviet Union created anything in its lifetime that didn't belong to them except tyranny. When you come down to it, they stole everybody else's stuff. They stole everybody else's inventions. Because of this, because they had all these, these, these nuclear weapons now in the early 1950s, people, the paranoia increased. Oh my God, Russia's gonna nuke us. You know, we're not the only ones with the bomb anymore. And uh, even though some military minds in our country were talking about, oh, using the bomb possibly on, on, on uh, North Korea because they entered South Korea and they started a war against them. A lot of saner people said, we don't need a nuclear bomb to do that. But because the Russians now have the bomb and by extension, the Chinese got the bomb, the communist Chinese got the bomb. Remember the days when we call it Red China? Uh, they, they now have the bomb. So people in this country were basically shitting in their pants. I, uh, maybe I shouldn't put it in that colloquially. It's very no, it's real good, terror they had. Good work. Huh? It's good work. I like that. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's true. I'll say it again. They were shitting in their pants. But as it is, they, uh, it was a very real fear there. And I can't, in, in their movies also, in Hollywood movies, you see that to a certain degree in other genres. Well, not the Western, but you see it in science fiction. You see it. Didn't have much horror at the time. In the 1950s, you saw it in their science fiction. They're all paranoid about loss of identity, the communist brainwashing. Um, it's about uh, um, aliens from outer space or giant dinosaurs or giant insects or euphemisms for communist terror. Believe it or not, a stretch, but it uh, it was part of the part of those paranoid times. <laughs> Well, there's plenty of films now that you can, I mean, you could make a stretch into, but I mean, it still works is that there's like, I'm not a communist sympathizer. I've tried to understand it more to understand that. And I know these kind of conversations get a little bit tense because especially if like the JFK community, me talking about that subject, a lot of people are communist sympathizers and things of that sort. Not saying that they're communists, but just saying what we labeled it wrong. I do believe in some cases, but also I'm a patriot at heart and I'm not saying like uh, American flag, all this. I'm just saying my focus is everyone does bad shit. Every government, everyone's got a gun to their head, basically, and everyone's up to their own little tactics. So when we look at one side of the government, if you talk to a historian on the other side who studies like China or something, they'll tell you a bunch of bad stuff. Unit 731 for Japan is a good example. It's way worse than the Nazis, but never gets mentioned. And I just I just kind of go now. These are the rules of engagement. When one person does it, the other matches it. And it just keeps this game going and going and going. And the point of war is not just to continuously endlessly fight as much people might think, but it's to win. And when you look at the game is going to keep ever evolving. So I just look at what happens to us domestically. Things I can protect are things that happen to my family, to my friends, to people I care about, to people in my city. And then I can extend that farther to the domestic branch of, you know, that's where I get interested in all the government stuff is because as much as I can study it here, I guarantee you it's happening way worse in another country or it's happening in another form in another country. But the one area we never even talked about or never even really looked into as a, a general public never even really thinks twice about this is the organized crime aspect of things. I had I look, I understand the mob's not good and I get that, but I look at some of the stuff that they do and I looked at some of the films as well, too. And I go, we I if anything, we're worried about demonizing communism. I'm worried about demonizing organized crime. And everyone's like, you're supporting gangs. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that when you see how like the mafia people treated the actual public, whether they're getting money from them or whatever, 
and you look at the horrible acts of the government, I mean, I can't tell the two apart sometimes. Obviously, one goes under the branch of a flag and a badge, but the mafia, there's a lot of stuff I learned about like Al Capone and a bunch of other guys that whether they did it for actually good part of their heart or just to keep people silent or happy, I don't know. But we look in the films, they work together. They had a relationship. So on some grounds, they must have found some similarities. There were uh, not as so much similarities, though. I think that... Uh, you can disagree with me if you want. I'll still like you. <laughs> okay. Well I, th- well, I would say that there are certain similarities that at certain points in our history, when there was real... How could I say it? Like during World War II, it became mutually beneficial for the government to ally itself to a certain degree to the mob. Um, Now, the government could easily, like I said, new mob figures could get in contact with mob uh, figures. During the heyday of the golden age of Hollywood, a lot of Hollywood studio heads had connections to the mob. Certain films were made that way. They had certain film noirs where they had sometimes gangsters who were friendly with Hollywood people who could help be technical advisors on this. Johnny Rosselli uh, is a good example. Um, He was out in L.A., the L.A. mob, and uh, he was a good example of, um, oh, he tried to produce. He produced through a small company called Eagle Lion in the post-war years. He produced crime pictures. Film noir and uh, Rosselli, who apparently was not as he was still a a mob, you know, mob gangster, was not as vicious as some of the others. And unfortunately, because uh, the mob uh, thought he was an informant to the FBI, well, he ended up in a uh, barrel, in an, chopped up in a barrel in an oil drum, floating off the coast of Cuba, no arms, no legs. Yeah. You know, I assume he did not survive. So. Uh, <laughs> So that was a good example. But um, during World War II, there was a situation where uh, now it was like 1942. The government needed the government needed the mob that controlled the New York waterfront and watched out for foreign ships of some kind. One second. Uh, foreign ships that came in. They had to watch for any kind of Nazi activity, any kind of like that, or Axis activity. So the thing is, government needed the mob's help. The government agents could be all over the damn waterfront in New York or New Jersey or whatever, and nothing's going to be done. You needed the guys who were there. You needed the wise guys who were there. They knew the unions. They knew the workers. Sometimes the mobsters were the workers. They were, you know, part and parcel of that whole thing. The unions were run by the mob. I don't want to say every single one, but they had great influence in that. They've had influence with with waterfront unions, a lot of unions in this country, not all unions. Uh, God, since the goddamn early part of the 20th century. (coughs) So uh, in one particular incident, the uh, SS Normandy, which is a big French ship, and uh, what happened was it was docked in New York City and, and uh, Manhattan Piers, I believe. And what happens one day, it caught on fire. Now, it was Greek lightning, I bet. That's what they call it. It was, uh, it, yeah, what's that again? Greek, Greek lightning. 
Greek lightning. <laughs> it's uh, lightning from somewhere. It's a, there are two schools of thought of that. Some people say that somehow a fire caused because of excessive paint didn't dry yet. Somebody lit a match, you know, you know, and tried. It was a damn Molotov cocktail is what it was. It was possibly a Molotov cocktail. But anyway, but the thing is, or it was done on purpose because the mob guys why, you know, we're trying to get the government's attention saying, hey, we're here. And, you know, believe it or not, there were a lot of patriotic people in the mob, including Johnny Rosselli, for that matter. Lucky Luciano was one. <laughs> Lucky Luciano, very much. He's a damn killer, but he was very patriotic. Killer, gambler, uh, ran whorehouses, dealt drugs, but the man loved America. And the need. thing is that- That's all you need. Yeah, there you go. And uh, the thing is, he um, basically, it got to Lucky Luciano. You know, it was, you know, oh, well, what's going on here? U.S. Uh, the Naval intelligence went to, you know, went to the mob. Okay, we need your help to watch this. But a deal was in the works because Lucky Luciano was that time was <clears throat> on, uh, he was upstate. I think it was Danamora uh, prison where he wasn't doing too well. It was kind of a rotten situation for him. Very simple. You want us to help him? He wants to help transfer Lucky to a better prison. He's got to come down south. So he's going to come. So he went to so transfer him to a much nicer, looser prison. And, uh, and the deal was that they would eventually release him. That's it. Of course, the deal was that Lucky Lucianzo could not be let go in this country. He could not come to America. They'll let him go towards the end of the war, but he goes to Italy. What happened was, of course, in the post-war years, and uh, they tried this in 19, he went to Cuba and they found out he was in Cuba. Cuba under the Batista regime was uh, very corrupt, horribly, horribly corrupt. And basically you, you pay Batista and his aides a suitcase full of money. You could do anything you want. And the mob did. And they just went crazy over, over, uh, over Cuba. They had gambling casinos everywhere. They had wonderful gambling places, restaurants, nightclubs, you name it. Except the thing is, of course, the poorer people of Cuba were screwed. Most of the resources of Cuba went to people like, you know, the mob, Hollywood celebrities who went down there, Sinatra. They, know, treated, they treated it like their Vegas. Exactly. It was their Vegas. Uh, <clears throat> So what happened was the government said when they found out Lucky Luciano was in Cuba, a mere few miles south of Florida, you know, they said, ah, ah, we don't want that. You're violating the deal. You go to Italy, that the hell is it. You're not going you're not gonna stay in Cuba. We wanted you out of the country. We wanted you that damn close to Miami with its gambling joints and Santo Traficante and you know, and uh, all those uh, guys uh and their gambling george you can't do that you know sent him to italy he's banished to italy where he died and uh but the thing is that as far as cuba is concerned okay castro basically exploited all this he came in he overthrew everybody batista you know forget it was was overthrown 
And unfortunately, Castro, despite promising democracy, slaughtered everybody. Everybody who disagreed with him, everybody who looked at him and his men wrong, they slaughtered animals. Uh, you know, everything. I'm not kidding with that. They did do that, too. Um, I believe uh, Ernest Hemingway's uh, dogs were killed when they took over his home in, uh, in Cuba. But uh, anyway, so that was one corruption was taken over by another. And Castro, of course, eventually did deal with the mob himself, uh, which was a hypocrisy of his whole, whole movement. But as far as that went, yeah, um, Lucky Luciano was hoping to, you know, they had the mob work in Italy during the war against Mussolini's fascists. So the thing is, they would be there, not only they would help US intelligence, they would help the military. Hey, he's hiding in there. The fascists are over here. They're here, they're here. Mussolini's guys are over here. We know exactly where. We know the terrain. They helped the uh, US military go in there. That's something, that's an advantage the British did not have when they went in Italy. They had, you know, the, the, the US had the mob helping them out. Da 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 da. da. And uh, it helped, it helped, uh, I would say, probably lower the casualties of a lot of, a lot of Americans in that respect. The, uh, but the mafia, of course, was very self-serving. What happened was, fine, Mussolini was kicked out. The fascists were kicked out. So what do you think happened? Now the mafia was free to retake everything they lost, which is exactly what they have, what they did. And the U.S. government turned the other way. They looked the other way. That's it. That was the deal. Fine. Get rid of all these guys, you know, Mussolini's people, and, uh, and that's it. So the mob reestablished uh, <coughs> itself in Italy and uh, in Sicily and, you know, and uh, that's the way it was. But as far as, um, as far as Gangland was concerned, there was, and probably still is, a connection between, between the two. Um, Don't you get worried about the intersections with Hollywood? Like speaking to people that study in particular the hollywood industry and like paramount studios and things but when they look specifically at like actors like you know the block dahlia case um the woman that was her body was desecrated and she was found in a park and she was a young actress trying to make it into hollywood but got stuck in a, a bit of a gang club mafia club style thing and they kept telling her that she would eventually get a job in hollywood they'd help her get her into hollywood it was never happening she they liked her singing sideshows and stuff at the the club and stuff but there's an intersection with the government and the mob in hollywood and i feel like it's dangerous if you're an actor or an actress that's going into the business and then now you have these two swaying factions like do you want to get the corruption of either the governments or the corruption of the mafia or each road is, has its own different courses i'm not saying they're the same but there's so much going on where it's not just about your skills anymore it's about what are you willing to do to get the part kind of type deal not in this creepy sexual way but more in like a hey do this favor for the government be our fbi agent in these films and we'll make sure that you know you'll never be you know in trouble with the law keep your nose clean and we'll keep it clean as well too for you it's like that type deal well if you look at something uh, something like that, where a certain actor playing an FBI agent, an actor uh, doing an anti-communist movie during the 1950s, <coughs> yeah, that helped. As far as as far as oh, you did this anti-communist film, you did this uh, pro-government film, it kind of helps out. During the war, let's go back 
10 years before the Red Scare. During the war, when the, uh, I would say around 1940, there were hearings. First hearings for the House Un-American Activities Committee was around the late 1930s, 1940. There was a lot of um, isolationists, let's say, on the HUAC. They really didn't want war. They didn't want any war with fascism because I think there were native fascists themselves, a lot of them. A lot of them. Still, their uh, terrain was, was investigating both communists and fascists this time. Later on, it would be basically investigating communists, but around 1940, before our entrance into war, they're investigating both groups. But still, they had Hollywood people testifying before them. They say I had Frederick March, they had Humphrey Bogart, they had uh, James Cagney, especially. <clears throat> and why? Because Cagney in the 1930s would contribute to left-wing groups. And the left-wing groups, what they said anyway, was helping out striking workers. Like for instance, out in uh, Northern California, who were striking and labor and, unions. Uh, yeah, a union So the thing is that Cagney thought he was helping out. He's helping people who are have nots and he was helping out. I believe he did this quite innocently. I don't think he meant to help a totalitarian movement, but unfortunately, a lot of the people involved with this uh, so-called charity were, uh, were communists. A lot of the money went into their coffers. Did not go as much as you would think to the uh, to the workers, as it turns out. And the thing is that uh, Cagney was helping him out. And the committee threw this right in front of him. Borgard also helped out uh, certain people uh, on the left for certain groups, certain uh, pro-union groups. He was liberal. Uh, Cagney was liberal too. Unfortunately, some of his people were kind of borderline, you know, they're right into the uh, communist sphere. sphere. I pronounced that correctly. And uh, the thing is that there was there was a stigma to that. There was a stigma to, oh, well, you know, you had all these other things and blah, blah, blah. They said, so one of the congressmen said to Cagney, you know, he didn't testify at first because he's afraid to take a plane to uh, Washington. He's had a fear, of a fear of flying. And when the congressman said to him, you know, from where I come from, when they call you a son of a bitch, uh, you know, you better show up because, you know, uh, and defend yourself to my face, you know, and Cagney had no choice. He had to conquer his fear of flying and fly to Washington DC and testify. And uh, as it turns out, Cagney said, no, not a communist. I was totally innocent. I thought I was helping starving groove, you know, these people over here needed my help. And that's it, blah, blah, blah. And what was in the works, because he and his brother, William Cagney, who was a producer, produced a lot of his, and decided, uh, well, we have to make a film that shows that I am pro-American, you know, that, I, that Jimmy is pro-American and, you know, not communist, not any of these totalitarian movements. Yankee Doodle Dandy, made 1942. I mean, this project was in the works for like a year at least before then, after the, after the hearings. And you couldn't get more American than Yankee Doodle Dandy. Personally, George M. Cohen was a son of a bitch. He was anti-Semitic, anti-union. He hated a lot of people, racist. He was just, just a disgusting man. Of course, you never saw these parts of his personality in the film as Warner Brothers made it, of course. He had, he had a couple wives, including one I think he beat up. You don't see that on the film. They, they, they merged 
I think, a two of his wives into one. And she was played by Joan Leslie, who was beautiful and sweet and everything. And, you know, you know, Hollywood, you know, brainwashing, programming, what have you. Do you get do you get nervous on that type of stuff, though? Because it's it's everywhere. And it's not like it's like I mean, I don't not there's some propaganda I can I don't think is bad. Like, you know, introducing FBI agents and Mickey Mouse cartoons is fine. Um, that's not but it's just where it gets worse it's like when it starts going into a point where it's like you have films that are literally designed to basically sign up at your local recruitment station i would put lone survivor up on that list i saw it when i was 17 almost 18 years old and the first thing i thought was like oh my god i want to go sign up to the military do some badass shit and protect america and it's even like you look at forrest gump yeah it's a story and you might be overanalyzing it and i don't tend to do that on a lot of films but i'm looking at i'm like well, damn it, if you don't have a sense of patriotism, you know, afterwards, I don't know. I mean, they covered a lot of like historical stuff as well, too. But then I started getting into the actual case of things. And I would bring this example up, which is Judas and the Black Messiah about Fred Hampton um, and his life in the Black Panther Party. I would not recommend that film to anybody. And I've talked about the Fred Hampton assassination with many people who are either new Fred Hampton or experts on his life. And they all agree that, yeah, they completely made the Black Panther Party a little bit, at least Fred Hampton, a lot more different in a, in a sense that they made him seem like an aggressor in a lot of sense. And from documentation, it's not like that at all, especially a lot of the speeches that, that we do know about, um, either someone that was there, witnessed it and talked about it. And I, I guess it's seeing it through the government's lens as well, too. But it's like the MK Ultra film is the same example. The MK Ultra film is a horrible thing the government did. Um, not the film, but the actual project. But the film made it seem like it's better than getting a lobotomy. And I'm like, well, no, 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 you were drugging random people. We got to talk about that. You did not show that in the film. They just were like, hey, we're going to test it out on these people that are already kind of crazy. So it's not like we're doing any damage. And I'm like, damn, that film had a real chance of making something historically accurate and it would still be good i don't know i like the accuracy i hate the fantasy stuff that gets added into it but that's hollywood you know that's hollywood and uh, and that's uh hollywood it's hollywood today unfortunately it's also it also goes down to our documentary channels our history channels they don't tell you everything <laughs> it's ridiculous i was watching two different specials one time me and my wife were watching uh two different specials on Ernest Hemingway. And the thing is that the Ken Burns one, and sometimes he could be factually inaccurate, but he had a great special on Ernest Hemingway, which like three parts, which was just great and says everything about the bastard. He was not the nicest guy with women. And you can ask his four wives. It was pretty awful. But anyway, and they said even his 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 uh, his his youngest son, I think, was a transvestite, like dressing up in women's clothing when he was a kid, and blah blah blah. They said things about Ernest Hemingway, who dressed up as a woman, you know, in a woman in a dress when he was a kid, all that other stuff. And it's amazing. And then you looked at another. We looked at another special from the History Channel on Ernest Hemingway, which is which was two hours long, which didn't mention his kid putting on a dress when he was a kid didn't mention a lot of the uh, a lot of drunkenness escapades that the Ken Burns thing did uh, a lot of his racism and anti-Semitism was not mentioned as it was in the Ken Burns thing and I guess it depends which channel you see or which source you go to but you, yeah you, how you come this special 
Yeah. Do you, do you think it's more important like that they just show like it's so hard because everyone's going to have their own bias, obviously. Um, it's why like you can see many accounts of who JFK was by just watching many different documentaries and whoever like I've talked to plenty of people that either don't like them or they like them. And it's like it, it's so hard to balance into that conversation of like, well, I've learned this much about this. How do I learn the other side? And it's about finding that balance. But I'm like, damn it. Can anybody just like not even if you're a fan of Ernest Hemingway or if you're not just. Give me everything. I don't care. Like, don't just be like, I'm only use the stuff I like, not the stuff I don't. And that, I mean, obviously reply that flies on directors more um, than anything else, like an establishment, but there's also like certain networks that won't pick up certain things because they either don't side with that political view sometimes too. And I'm like, look, I mean, if you're a fan or if you just want to get like an actual documentary and be able to get the actual and in correct information, don't one side me on it. Like, give me everything. So if I want to enter a conversation about it, I someone doesn't go, did you know this? And I'm like, I've never heard of that. It sounds like a made up thing. And then it turns out it's true. And you're like, oh my God, I've been lied to. And you end up sitting sitting and drinking bourbon on your steps. Yeah, it's like, well, first of all, let me correct you on the fact that Minnie Mouse was probably a Fed. Um, as hey, well. you uh, <laughs> didn't mention Mickey before. Forgot to say that before. It was too late. But anyway, uh, as far yeah. I like to see everything. No, with the, 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 all the crap. I mean, just show us that. Let us judge. This is America. We should have it, you know, free expression. Let us judge as far as that is concerned. Yes, I don't want to see gross stuff necessarily right in front of my screen, no matter what. But the thing is that, at least tell us, what the hell went on? We know, I know Hemingway was a prick. I say my uh, my my opinion here but he, he was definitely i mean a horrible human being though he's one of lion mock authors of our country of the century what have you yeah the four wives treated him all like shit all this other stuff the drinking the the the, the nervous breakdowns everything you know the crazy crap but show me don't have another special just take something out I saw a history a history channel special on HG Wells which totally did not mention his anti-semitism or his racism or his elitism. He wrote some horrible things. Let me tell you and the way he treated us is pretty disgusting to say the least. That was not on a uh, a history channel and also the story channel a biography on H.G. Wells. It was so much a part of him because there were characterizations in his books, words in his books that impacted badly upon whole peoples. And everybody sees the science fiction, or what he called the science, science romances at the time, and it was, it's not right. Uh, the man was an imperialist, also a hypocrite. He cheated on, every, on, on all his... Uh, you don't want to know. He hated most of the world, except people who were in his group. Unfortunately, that sounds too much like the Hollywood of today. Uh, I haven't even really came across a whole lot of anti-Semitism in my life, to be honest with you. I mean, oh, not, I have. <laughs> Being Jewish, I have. I mean, yeah, I, so, I mean, uh, technically, I am Jewish, depending on how you look at. It. I'm a couple percent Ashkenazi. Um, <laughs> But people I'm totally Ashkenazi. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not like 100 percent. So people don't really call me 
Jewish or anything, but I, I mean, I, I just they I call me worse though. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. There's a large amount of that though, even like with like it's certain ideas or ideologies and beliefs, and I think it does boil down to like what you mentioned in the beginning with like the Christian thing as well too. There's a large amount of influence I didn't notice that's not necessarily as vacant or as open as it was maybe 20, 30 years ago, but it's still instilled into old industries. And like businesses and things and like just ways that they've been making money for so long. And I don't know how to, I don't know how that's going to be fixed. Um, it's just the basic templates that we still run off that still boil down like important things. Why does a president always need to be a Christian man or something of that sort? You know what I mean? Like, like the Christian ideology thing is like nuts to me when it comes to the president. Like that's what everyone looks for is like a check on the checkbox. I'm like, pick anybody. Do they have good ideas? Okay, then that's what we're, we're, that's what we're concerned about. Well, that's it. That's the ideas. I mean, when you take a look at it, we had, I believe, two Catholic presidents in over 200 years. One is uh, JFK. John F. Kennedy, who was wonderful. I think he probably could have been even better had he been had a chance to live. The second one is Joseph Biden, who is horrible. Uh, I'll say that right now, but uh, hopefully he is not reelected. But uh, that's another step. He's not going to be alive for that. No way. No, I certainly hope not, my friend. No, 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 no. Just, uh, but as it is, because um, most of the presidents were Protestant. They were Protestant from the days of, yet or or whatever. Washington. I mean, Adams. Everybody. Monroe. Tyler. Harrison. Everybody was always Protestant. Why? Because the country was mostly Protestant. But in the post-war years, before that turn of the century, and then again, the post-war years when refugees came in, the country changed. So, of course, you had different religions, different faiths, different ethnicities, you know, and different, different skin colors. Everybody came in, and now it's, now it's a different ball game. They're, you know, the, the president doesn't necessarily have to be Protestant. Lord knows he probably will be the next one, maybe the one after that. Maybe it'll be a woman or maybe it'll be a Protestant woman. Who knows? There's still that little um, monopoly on uh, on the religion we have and the faiths we have of our, our presidents. Um, oh, Protestant. OK, well, you know, but anyway. As far as that goes, it's it's like, oh, well, what does this industry, what does this, what does our government, who are the people in our governments who have to be, uh, what is the skin color of what they have to be, what is this, what, what they have to be, there's no have to, you just got to pick the best people, the best people, that's why I think Kamala Harris was a big mistake, you picked her on her, you picked her on her sex, you picked her on her skin color. Yeah, and well, she's up there. She backed on some things. She's she's a horror show straight out of Chiller Theater. Uh, <laughs> she supported just... Tara Reid when Biden had that scandal, and the next thing you know, she put that aside to be the vice president. And I was like, I you can't trust someone like that. It's like the flimsy notions and stuff. Like I'm okay. Even I hate people that double down, even though they're clearly wrong on things. Like if they're proven like that, you're wrong. This is it. And he goes, Nope, I'm still going to keep saying what I said before, even with the new information. I don't like that as much. But at least they're not. There's someone that's like going to stand by their opinions as well, too. There's a lot of like two facedness, I would say, on some things in, in this country and in industries as well, too, which makes it even harder for anyone to try and get a start. And that's like when I say I'm not like I'm not left or right, but 
I just I notice corruption. I'm going to point it out wherever it really is. You know, if it's Trump's administration or if it's Biden administration, I don't care. But there's a large amount of like it's only one side and it's not mine. And that's what I was like. We got to get over that as a people. And that's when I started like looking over into a lot of things about history where it's like this has been largely pushed away. Why is that? And you start looking into it a little bit more and you're like, okay, it's not necessarily what they're saying it is. There are some things you might not agree with based on where you're from, but that's why I started open up to gangs and hundred percent, honestly, they have a right been- to say it no matter what it's a democratic right to say it. There's cor- corruption, dishonesty, corruption knows no political affiliation. It knows no religion. It knows no anything. It's there, you know, corruption's that way doesn't matter where it's coming from and people have a right to speak wherever they where they can speak cancel cancel culture it's today's mccarthyism if you want to put a a name on what it was back in the cold war years mccarthyism okay it's a guy who does these wild phony charges to make himself look good and his gang look good and that's it it was a very you know mccarthyism was a virtue signaling of the day richard nixon was part of that Man, I, I mean, you don't know what a son of a bitch he was like in the 1950s coming up as as uh, to be senator. Wow. Do you think what we would a have slanderer? Huh? Do you think we would have had the history of Nixon if he would have been voted in earlier? Like if he would have beat out Kennedy, I feel like we wouldn't have the bad history we have with Nixon. And I do stand in the boat. I think Nixon, I don't think he would have been good for this country at all. And I'm glad that he was taken out. But I also think he was targeted extremely as well, too. I've looked into that whole Nixon administration and things of that sort. I was like, oh, bro, you stepped on way too many toes you don't understand this like the, how the system of the government works with hoover and his fbi and you're going to try and pressure him to do something for you and then you have to create your own there were too many people he pissed off where i was like you don't stay in office at that point something's going to come out about you it's like whenever we see a scandal about a president your intelligence agencies are in charge of making sure there's no scandals. so when one does pop up you messed up yeah well you're talking about watergate you're talking about at the time uh, the committee to reelect the president, known as Creep, which uh, which uh, Nixon had. He wanted to uh, send his uh, the White House the White House plumbers as they go. They wanted to send them out to uh, find out what the Democrats were doing. And uh, the thing is, now we're talking later in his presidency and all that. They're going to send them out. Hoover wanted uh, he knew Nixon wanted him retired. I mean, Hoover was this goddamn fossil from uh, he is old at that point, early part the early part of the 19th century, uh, early part of no Freudian slip 19th century, 20th century, early part of the 20th century. uh, 1919, he had the, uh, you know, the alien squad, when he'd send out his agents, which weren't, they weren't called the FBI at the time, send out his agents. they weren't even called that at the time. They were, uh, it was called at the time, I believe the Department of Investigation. It was called a Bureau of Investigation, one time the Department of Investigation later on. And he sent out his agents to send, uh, to arrest Russians in New York City, basically who were part of the, uh, the Red Ark because Russia just had its revolution at the time and there were communists or you know marxist agents in this country blah 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 basically they weren't that much of a serious threat they basically had their little intellect pseudo intellectual parlors where they discussed about you know anarchy getting with the government although they did do horrible things they set up bombs they destroyed a lot of people they set off a bomb in wall street or an exchange place so hoover had his agents uh you know grab a lot of people a lot of people who unfortunately were innocent but they were grabbed because of their ethnicity 
They grab because they're Russian or Slavic or what have you. Uh, call them anarchists, anything. Or but homosexuals. That's another thing. <laughs> or homosexuals. Though that was a lot later on because uh, Hoover had his <clears throat> uh, problems, let's say. Do you believe that with Clyde Tolson? Do you believe that? I believe it. I've read Jack Anderson's quote on national television. He's way too specific. He talks about that every night Hoover and Clyde Tolson, since they've outlived all their other friends, Hoover at 76 and Clyde Tolson at 72 or either 74, he said, um, they would rotate to which houses they would go to. So one night they'd have dinner at Hoover's house. One night they'd have dinner at Clyde Tolson's house. That doesn't sound bad at all. Sounds like a couple old people, you know, living out the rest of their days, just being good friends and stuff. But here's where it gets crazy is that Hoover would pull up behind Clyde Tolson's house in a bulletproof limousine and they would drive over to the rib shack or something like that sort of was named. And Hoover would order a grilled cheese sandwich with something. And then Clyde Tolson would order a bean soup, except on Tuesdays where he would order some type of chowder with a dip of ketchup poured in. And that's exactly what Jack Anderson stated on top of all the comments about finding things through Hoover's trash about the closeness with Clyde Tolson, where I go, if you are saying that if this guy's stating all the facts that Hoover and Clyde Tolson were in a gay relationship and he was that detailed in talking about what they do on a daily basis, I believe him on the basis of I have never heard anything that creative in my entire life. Well, Hoover had his problems. Um, and it's not bad being gay. It's just he's a hypocrite, which is why I'm like, this is like important. He is a hypocrite. Because yeah. he went after anybody who, uh, of course, besides going after gay people, as did um the assistant to joseph mccarthy roy Cohn, went after gay people and uh he was gay himself and uh hoover could have been just a sexual um, uh very sexually frustrated man who probably put a lot of his sexual frustrations into going after others uh aggressively now the thing is that yeah he was probably at, at the least, probably gay and didn't know he was gay and thought he just stole Clyde Tolson's, that's my good buddy and all that other stuff here. Or you could look at the other extreme. They were gay. They knew they were gay. They kept it, everything in the closet. Nobody said anything. And we will send FBI agents out after anybody who says so. They have. They had sent people to go out. They had sent their agents out to go out and harass other people all across the country, from New York to Washington, D.C. to anywhere. Anybody who implied such a thing that J. Edgar Hoover was not a <clears throat> manly man would have a visit by agent saying, you know, we heard what you said about our director, you know, and we don't like it. The shotgun go. goes off, and well, I mean, <laughs> you well, know, it's like, I don't, oh, I don't necessarily, you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily believe the extreme, but I believe that there was definitely a bit of a relationship going on. It's a little bit suspicious that his estate was left to Clyde Tolson and all. Oh of hell yeah, really yeah, there was there was something, there was something going on. It must also, have been the photos of him in a dress. I've seen, I can't verify those, but I've seen a lot of photos of him very close with hands kind of held on with Clyde Tolson in a sense, whether they're just having a good story or talk like that. And I mean, his, he, out of all the employees at the FBI agency, I did find Clyde Tolson's uh, performance review and Hoover said hundred percent excellent, which is the only one that was ever given hundred percent excellence and says was a very attentive to my needs at the bottom of the damn document. 
So <laughs> you can run off with that with whatever you'd like, but I just think it's really, really kind of suspicious. Whether it was a close, very, very close relationship, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but it was the hypocriticism that was followed with it. And then even the own FBI agents were scared of Hoover, which makes me wonder is like, would we have this information on him or not even information on just that specific spot, but the FBI in general, if it wasn't for Watergate or the people that broke into the FBI's code office and was able to be able to pull out all those documents that they were able to state that this is what the FBI is doing. Well, the thing is that uh, well, it depends what break-in you're talking about. Uh, like I know there was the Watergate break-in, which Hoover refused to have anything to do with. Why? Because the thing is that he did not want to be retired. He knew, he knew, he heard Nixon was going to retire as his fat ass. Uh, what happened was uh, that, oh, well, you know, he wants me to help him with Watergate. The FBI were professional plumbers. They were break-in artists. They went through trash. They went through their mail covers, trash covers, all that stuff. They knew what they were doing. They could break into embassies like the Soviet embassy, and they have. They've broken into other embassies, blah, 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 to find out what's going on. They could bug phones, blah, blah, blah. They knew what they were doing, and you didn't even know they broke in. But... In this case, Hoover turned him down. He turned down Nixon. <clears throat> it was just a cancer. Anyway, he turned him down because Hoover didn't want to be retired. He wanted to work with the FBI and boss him around forever and ever. And he was senile. I mean, I mean, Kennedy's people, Bobby's Kennedy people, Bobby's, Bobby is attorney general, and his people would visit Hoover and find him sleeping on his cot in the office you know, and his office couch. And uh, he was old. He had to go. He had to go a long, long time ago. But Hoover didn't like to be retired. So he was not going to help out Nixon as far as this black bag operation, this break-in. And uh, the thing is, so Nixon had his own people go down there and they were caught. They were caught because these guys were amateurs. That was it. So Nixon, Watergate came out. At the Watergate Hotel, everything, it came out. All the scandal came out. And uh, you didn't have him around too long. It's very interesting, since he mismanaged the Vietnam War. Uh, you think that would help kick him out. It's like, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to mention this example. But uh, the thing is that, okay, Nixon was gone, but he had to resign. He has to resign because he would have been indicted as they all are. They always resign when they're about to be indicted. A ball player taking steroids. They're found to be taking steroids. Ah, uh, I think it's time I retired, Yeah, you know, and get out, you know, before I'm indicted for, you know, Roger Which, Clemens, HRH. That know, doesn't make sense to me because I'm just like, why don't they just make a separate league where you can take any drugs you want? Like we have natural and unnatural bodybuilding competitions where people say I'm not natural and they just take steroids to get the way that they look. So I go, if we have those, just do it in sports. To be honest, I would love to see a bunch of people on roids trying their hardest to be able to hit a ball like into outer space. But that's not fair. <laughs> well, you just put them in a separate league. You don't put them against other people that aren't on them. You put them against people that are on them as well, too. So you're having two teams of people on steroids and you don't you can just put an asterisk by their name if you want to give them a record or anything. That's like having a league with people who who they're all snorting cocaine. Who gets the biggest high? Steroids are legal, though. So it's not like cocaine. 
No, but it's still it's still drugs. Then you could do anything. Probably you could do things with steroids you ordinarily would not do if you did not take steroids. Yeah, but you don't have to compare them to the people that don't take them. They're in a whole separate league. They're, they're the normal sports. This is just the the fun sports where you get to. I mean, Doc Ellis pitched a no hitter on LSD. You know how fucking hard that is to do. <laughs> that man's a legend to me. Holy crap. Yeah, but Don Larson pitched a no-hitter during a World Series in 1956 against the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he had hangovers the night before. But the thing is, he got up the next morning, and he did it, and he didn't take any chemical substances at all. I mean, take a look at Mickey Mantle or somebody like that. We're not comparing here. I'm just saying it's you can do the you can put them in a separate league. I'm just saying, first of all, Doc Ellis on LSD doing a no-hitter during the game, that is way different than having a hangover the next day. You could still drive with a hangover. Taking LSD and driving, I would not. I know I have. I know. <laughs> that's. But, I'm just saying, that's that, to me, like you can make two separate leagues with that. It's not a big problem. You don't have to compare them, but I think it would just be interesting. You know, people like, it's the suppression aspect for me. There's so many scandals, Barry Bonds, whatever. I was like, people still probably take drugs now that don't get caught in their system in sports. And we don't know about it. So we just consider it fair because these people aren't on drugs. They said they weren't. Well, if you suppress that people just look to that it's really sports is just like the film industry everybody wanting to be the best as they possibly can and good that's we should create an environment where they can try and be their best but it it's also causes them to go to the dark drug stuff too well if that's the case then why haven't why not have an amateur takes hrh or steroid or the cream of the clear they don't have to be ball players let them take it and they'll go up to you know jimmy smith over here and johnny johnson over here and then you know and and then jaime goldberg over here and da, 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 da. we separate everybody and hey you throw the ball take these steroids you've never played ball in your life but it, you're taking steroids which will make you do something you don't ordinarily do so Go do that. You're not forcing people to take steroids. I'm just saying if there's people on steroids or doing something, just put them in a separate league. You know, a lot of these people end up losing everything, you know, getting shamed throughout history. And I go, we have like in, in bodybuilding, for instance, there are two people that come up in different ways. People that go, I want to try using steroids to get my body in the best physical condition. Now you are unqualified to compete against natural bodybuilders who worked and tried their hardest to get that naturally. That's would be the same with sports. If you've used a drug in sports, you can't compete against natural people. Instead of just kicking you out and firing you and losing everything, you'd have a separate league. A separate league. But what exactly would that prove? Someone's steroids are better than another person's steroids? You're not comparing. Means- you're not. That's not the thing. You're not comparing. It's just watching people this that are going to use a drug that they're probably using anyway. But now you're just you're not repressing it. You're not suppressing it. You're just saying you can't go against normal people. We're not incentivizing you to take drugs. But if you're going to use them and lie about them, wouldn't it just be open to be honest about that and just put you in a separate league about it? You don't need to compare it to normal sports at all. It would be a whole separate thing. Well, if that's I don't the think case, it sounds that crazy, though. That's the thing. You sound, you think it sounds crazy. I think it just sounds like it would be I fun think it as hell. Crazy. Uh, Watch someone I mean, on LSD just laying out in the middle of the field trying to – the ball's coming your way. And he's just picking up blades of grass. I'm like, this is – I would fucking watch a baseball game at that point. Well, it's not a ball game anymore if you're just laying there picking up great blades of grass. Uh, I mean, there are guys who – there are the guys or men and women – who train 
and they train long and hard and they don't take a damn thing and they just get up there and do it. And, you know, I, like I said, drugs is cheating. I mean, if you do, well, that's what I'm like saying that, is that's where the disconnect is. You're not hearing me out here. You're not putting I them mean, with out, the people the that point? are, <laughs> you're not putting them against people that are sober though. You're just putting them in a whole other baseball arena against other people that are doing either the similar drugs that they're on. You're not saying any hardcore stuff, but just sports enhancers. There's people I'd love to see, you know, that are either going to retire, even though they might be young, but they might have an injury. You're telling me if they can't use steroids or they can't use something to get their body in way better shape and still be able to play that you just wouldn't put them in another league. I'd love I I come from a gym background. So the unnatural and body, the bodybuilding thing, the unnatural and natural competitions that you go to and stuff. I just have a different take on it because like they're open about it. And I feel like we've just there's plenty of people that are on T-Booster. I would consider that cheating as well, too. Well. It is cheating. I'm not always considered cheating. The thing is that when you when you take the drugs or not, <laughs> it not always okay. <laughs> has a bad effect eventually. Huh? They're not okay. They're not okay. It always has a bad effect eventually. Even if you take the steroid, you take a look at Roger Clemens, and now it's totally over over there. We're talking about a guy in his goddamn mid 40s, 45, 46. After a while, people are going, wait a minute, this guy's going to this team and that team, and he's still to he's still up on the mound just totally freaking unnatural nothing but broccoli <laughs> how much of your soul did you sell to the to the horned one i mean this is goddamn ridiculous what uh, do you have do you have, do you have a though. painting in your closet that doesn't age this is craziness or, or you, you're painting your closet that ages and you don't that doesn't make any goddamn sense and the thing is that you know after a while Sure, he played on steroids. Oh my God, all these victories. And then there were all those defeats. He didn't win every goddamn thing because there were days when his body broke down. Yeah. You see, it could work the other way. You could have your steroids and then suddenly you're, you're bulked up and all this other crap. And then before you know it, then you come up there and you don't have as much energy and you're pitching out of the zone and everything goes crazy. And it's like, it's not right in that in that degree you get harmed as well the drug is going to have a backlog well, it's going to have a bad effect that wouldn't be the league's problem that would be the, the if the guy sports person signing up to do the drug i mean it's not like we're forcing them into you it's i mean look we have people that literally are models that use botox and things of this sort to make sure that they don't look as old as they are and we naturally accept that yeah but i think it's silly too i don't i don't condone it but we naturally in society accept that it's like kind of like a double standard to me where i'm not saying steroids and all, actually that kind of is similar in a way botox and steroids as well so you're putting an injection into your face but it's manipulating physical characteristics but with drugs for me and i like it, it's not forcing anybody to take them if a guy's like i want to start doing i mean a lot of people do do steroids once they get older especially in like the fitness industry um but it's just like if you're going to do it anyway i mean we don't have to give up baseball now to do this you can just go to a whole separate league and do it on your own and the league of steroid users uh and i Anyway, so this book is on sale. <laughs> <laughs> now and let's get back, that, get, get off the sports topic. Let's get back thing, to this thing. And, you know, and all we got to talk about stuff. the Dillinger gang. I said we were we'll going to talk cut about this, but anyway. No, uh, anyway, I'll keep it. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a minute to share it at the end as well, too. But let's talk about the Dillinger game for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Dillinger gang, um, basically, now, Somebody like uh, John Dillinger, basically a no good Nick, as we might say, from uh, from his earliest days. 
Um, I believe he tried to uh, stick up a, a grocery in the, as a teenager, stick up a grocery in the Midwest. And what happened was uh, he did it with an accomplice. What happened was a uh, bad legal choice, as it turned out, bad choice of lawyers, because his friend's lawyer got him off. But the other lawyer had him plead guilty or something, and he lost, and he went up to prison for several years, uh, unlike, his, unlike his friend. And that kind of hardened him, and he became a criminal, and blah, blah, blah. blah and he gets into bank robbery. He, you know, he robs banks all over the Midwest. It wasn't his gang. But the thing is that people remember John Dillinger. He's the guy who was the charismatic one who basically came in. He's personable. He was really nice to everybody around there. Of course, John Dillinger did kill. He killed policemen who were trying to kill him or who were after him. He wasn't exactly a cold-blooded murderer, but he, he killed. Okay, he's not the greatest guy. But the thing is, he robbed several banks around the Midwest, a lot of federal banks. And the thing is that, of course, that brought, it, that brought in the FBI. That brought in Hoover. And Hoover noticed that Dillinger was getting a lot of favorable press from people around, you know, all these, you know, they were impressed by him. It was the Depression around this time. And uh, people were losing money all over the place. They hated the banks. John Dillinger comes along, robs banks. Yo, John Dillinger, you know, you're doing stuff for us. This is cool. And they felt about Bonnie and Clyde that way, though not with the degree that the stupid film with uh, Warren Beatty uh, said. But a lot of the uh, a lot of these Depression era criminals were considered heroes. Not totally. They're mass murderers, for Christ's sakes, but they were considered heroes because they robbed banks. And uh, just like Jesse James and his gang was considered heroes by robbing trains because the railroads were taking property from people and they were the, the North and all that other stuff. A lot of he, a lot of, he had a lot of uh, Southern fans because he was pro-Confederate. But anyway, that, after the war and during the war. But anyway. Um, with Dillinger, that's the thing. You had a charismatic figure taking all the press around the early 1930s. <coughs> and Hoover hated that because he was a who Dillinger had a personality cult that was greater than J. Edgar Hoover's. And J. Edgar Hoover was this fat little non-entity bureaucrat of this giant federal agency who a lot of people might have considered the bad guys. That was the FBI in the early 30s. Um, even though they're trying to get a reputation as gangbusters, here's Dillinger. He escapes from Crown, from the Crown Point, Indiana jail by carving a bar of soap into a gun. And I mean, during that time, even before the escape, he was taking pictures with the sheriff over there, with the lawmen, with the guards, smiling and everything, and their wives and all, you know, it's all that. They loved him. They love John Dillinger. He's so damn personable. So was Billy the Kid in his day, though Billy the Kid was a cold-blooded killer as well. But uh, they did this John Dillinger. Then he escapes Crown Point, Indiana jail without, you know, he's able to do that bar of soap. And Hoover hated this. And he was trying to look for a reason to go after John Dillinger. <coughs> the only other person who Hoover really went ballistic, uh, uh, ballistic over would be in another 30 years, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. For, of course, 
a totally different reason that he hated that he hated John Dillinger. Again, Reverend uh, Reverend Dr. John Martin Luther King Jr. was a very personable, charismatic man, and unlike Dillinger, had a very positive message to destroy racism and have integration. And well, besides the fact that Hoover was a racist to begin with, he hated Martin Luther King. And the thing is, also he considered King's, you know, a personality cult. Of course, it was not a personality cult. He was had a positive, wonderful message for the entire country to change, change positively. And the thing is, still, it's still attention from Hoover. Hoover had the FBI investigate King up and down. He's a communist. He's supported by communists, everything else, blah, 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 blah. He slept with women all over the place. A fake suicide note. A fake suicide note. He had that, you know, hey, why don't you just kill yourself? Otherwise, I'm going to reveal all this. Uh, and a worse and uh, worse thing in Hoover's eyes, uh, King had slept with white women. And oh no, he's you know they're against you know Hoover hated integration. He hated all that. He hated he hated anybody. He wasn't so. The thing is that with Dillinger, it was another story. It was oh God, we have to catch this guy or kill him. You know, it was that kind of a thing. Uh, neutralize him uh, in a in a word. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Dillinger should not have been caught and spent the rest of his damn life in jail. He should have been for all of what he did. But the thing is, it was an obsession with Hoover. He hated the gangsters. He hated those those um, outlaw gangs, like Ma Barker and her boys, um, Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, he would insinuate himself into a case any chance he got. Oh, they used the getaway car. They went from one state to another. Well, you can't do that because that's against federal law. So, you know, you're, you're transporting somebody uh, and stolen goods uh, across state lines. FBI has to come in. Anything. I mean, uh, so, so the thing is that it's interesting that uh, Hoover did not go after people like Al Capone, nor did he go after people like, well, real mafia gangsters. He kind of ignored them. They were a little... They were too big. Let's put it this way. He couldn't really bring down them. They were incredibly big. They were allied with business. They had their hands in practically everything. Um, unions, some unions, uh, industry, a lot, Hollywood. So Hoover kind of had a hands-off attitude towards the moth. But as far as somebody like Dillinger is concerned, and Dillinger was this Bake robbing good old boy who basically, you know, just went to one bank to another, smiling for the camera, and da 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 da. da. So they had to get rid of him. And uh, what happened was, I believe it was 1933, 32 or 33, when they got him outside the Biograph Theater in Chicago. And uh, there's also there's controversy whether this was a shoot to kill anyway. Um, I forget the name of the agent who did it, uh, one of the special agents. But anyway, actually, the special agent in charge was uh, Melvin Purvis. He basically was on Hoover's good side. He helped solve cases here and there and then the Chicago Bureau office and blah, blah, blah. So Hoover liked him. Um, some imply it might be a gay crush. Who the hell knows but anyway, ah, you can't like Dillinger like that. <laughs> there you go. You know, no, no, no. 
at that that uh, that Hoover would like, you know, Melvin Purvis or Little Mel, as Hoover would call him. All right. Now I see it. Now I see, see it. Melvin Purvis, you know. But after a while, you see what happened was Purvis. OK. <laughs> Let's settle the whole synopsis here, the whole the whole uh, thing of events here is that Dillinger was leaving the Biograph Theater with two women. One was uh, known as the woman in red. And I believe she was a Hungarian Romanian immigrant. And I forget her name, Anna something. And um, she was not the one known as the woman in red. Why? Because, well, she came to Hoover beforehand and said, listen, I could finger Dillinger for you. What is the break that the FBI was was waiting for? Because let's face it, the FBI did not find Dillinger on their own. Somebody that he knew was, you know, squealed. And that was the woman in red. Actually, as it turns out, because of the lights, the Biograph Theater, she was actually wearing an orange dress, not a red dress, but she was always known as the woman in red. <clears throat> so, so what happens is they're leaving the theater arm in arm. She has her dress on. There he is with his straw hat on, Dillinger. And uh, okay, what happens was Special Agent Melvin Purvis is at the front of the theater. He sees him. He sees that's him. He lights a cigar. That's the signal for his guys to, you know, hey, drop it, FBI. You know, we're going to open fire. And of course, Dillinger broke away from the women, went around to an alley, shot at him, which is a mistake anyway, because I have a feeling they weren't going to let him live. And uh, of course, they blew him away, blah, 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 blah. That's it. Forever afterwards, Special Agent Melvin Purvis of the Chicago Bureau Office of the FBI was known as the man who caught Dillinger. As it turns out, he was not, he was there in charge of the operation, but the guy who actually pumped the bullets in him was the guy who got Dillinger. And unfortunately, his name escapes me right now. And the thing is that, Okay. Oh, my God. When Dillinger died, I mean, people were going for souvenirs. Women came along with handkerchiefs dipped in his blood, and they take it home. You know, it's, it's, it's all this stuff. I don't care. Oh, my God. He dropped something, dropped some change, pocket change in my pocket, anything. You know, hey, that's anything. a nice watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And uh, I believe Hoover even having a death mask made of, uh, made of Dillinger. And, of course... He thought, oh, well, good. I got rid of this personality cult. I got him out of the way, and the FBI will be known as the great gangbusters of all time. And they were knocking off gangsters right, left, and in between, or so it seemed. And uh, what happened was kind of the opposite. What happened was Special Agent Melvin Purvis was getting all the attention as the man who got Dillinger, not Hoover. And uh, it was, uh-oh. He couldn't believe this, Hoover. This is ridiculous. He was getting jealous. Being a very thin-skinned individual, as Hoover is, Hoover was, you know, you couldn't have any other personality cult there, any other rival for the attention of the newspapers and the press and newsreels and radio and all that other stuff. Hell, you had, you had radio programs, uh, Junior G-Man and all that other stuff. And, you know, they even gave Melvin Purvis his own radio show, Post Toasties, Junior G-Men, something like that, which had probably little to do with Hoover and a lot to do with Melvin Purvis and the FBI. And who and Hoover went ballistic. 
um, when um, Babyface Nelson, who was a real psycho of the day, and machine gun anybody at the drop of a hat, he was laughing all the time. He was absolutely nuts. When, uh, when um, Babyface Baby Nelson shot down um, an FBI agent, a certain FBI agent, and what happened was Purvis vowed to the press supposedly in that dead agent's blood, if you believe him, that we will get this guy. And for Hoover, that was too much. I mean, they were FBI agents. They weren't Vikings. What were they doing? Dabbing in people's bloods and vowing vengeance and all that other stuff. Is that the way it works? It was uh, too wild, too crazy for Hoover and too much uh, airtime for Purvis and not Hoover. So Hoover kind of pushed them out restricted his duties, made sure that Hollywood did not have a film version of, of Special Agent Purvis's life. And they were about to. Hollywood was going to give them movies. But they said, uh-uh, you can't do that. Hoover put pressure on Hollywood to, do, to just block them off. <laughs> his radio show, of course, didn't last very long. So embarrassed and disgusted, Purvis left the FBI. And uh, he decided to open his own private investigation firm. Well, Hoover made sure he didn't have any clients or very few anyway. Before you know it, he had to give up the firm. I mean, Purvis was becoming a non-entity. Before you know it, there's so many years and blah, blah, blah. I, I forget what time he, what year he did it, but Purvis eventually put a pistol to his head and blew his brains out. And that's basically, eventually his wife sent a message to Hoover thanking him for not attending Melvin's, uh, you know, his funeral. And uh, this is what happens when you went on the wrong side of Hoover with your own personality cult one way or another. You see the personality cult of Dill Dillinger led to the personality cult of Special Agent Purvis, the guy who got Dillinger. <clears throat> one led to another. You just didn't. You just didn't take attention uh, attention away from the boss. That's. I mean, you mentioned two things, which was like at least Hoover recognized dipping in blood and doing that type of stuff was like a no no. Um, you know, <laughs> recognize yes. recognize that. But then it's like he goes and this guy basically ruins this guy's life to the point the guy commits suicide. It's kind of like. You know, it's it's a conflict. He did one thing where it's like, oh, it's okay, it's good. You, you realize that you're not dipping in blood or doing anything like that. Don't do that. It's weird. And then you see him do ruin this guy's whole entire life just because he didn't get the limelight of things. And it was like makes a difficult personality, which is why I can understand why there's so many varying views on Hoover, whether he was this guy or this guy. I've talked to so many different perspectives on him. I'd have to meet the guy to be able to tell you for sure. But that's crazy stuff. But I also – it's like, I mean – you can't limit the personality cults of the world. I mean, there's plenty of that stuff all over the place. There's horrible ones like Jonestown. And then there's other ones where it's just people just interested in speaking about something that they're, they're good at what about. they are, you know, they're good at what they do, which makes it interesting that they have this connection with Hollywood too, because that is like where personality cults now would be is in Hollywood celebrities now giving advice, Woody Harrelson, you know, out there. And his dad was the one that allegedly took the shot on the knoll. Yeah, I don't know how that happened where, you know, that his that dad was, said it uh, in an interview when he was arrested. 
Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's 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 uh, crazy as far as that goes. And what's, it's funny oh. as hell to know the guy from Kingpin is the his dad is the killer of the president. Yeah, the bartender on Cheers is <laughs> his dad was. Uh, I didn't even yeah. think of Cheers. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know it's 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 weird that you're like, hey, listen, you know, uh, you know, I I respect her deeply, but you know, sh- you know, um, Charlize Theron's. Hmm uh dad i believe or who's supposed to be a murderer i believe or something oh no 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 she witnessed the murder witnessed the murder of her parents or something like that or or her She's parents not, were murdered I don't, I don't know about that i've never heard that before i think her dad <laughs> was something in her, south africa yeah something her dad like that. was something i know that <laughs> i mean you know this is our ancestor we're not we're not responsible for that woody Harrelson's not responsible for what his dad did you know i can't unsee it when i see him in a film now every time i look at him I'm like yo i gotta talk to you just to ask you about your dad <laughs> and you know he would probably knock your block off no but anyway uh i'm sure they don't want to talk about that uh Aspect, I, 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 you're better, you're a better man than I am because I don't think I would ask him. I don't think I would go near something like that. I mean, curious that I might be. I don't know if that's, you know, off limit topics and topics like, hey, it's, you know, but as far as, as far as Hoover are concerned, we don't have any worry about that because he didn't leave any offspring. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Hoover had no family. He had nothing. He was like, it's ridiculous. He was like this amoeba. He didn't leave anybody. I think he personally hated himself. And I think he also tend to push people away, which is why there's probably an interesting relationship with Clyde Tolson. I just don't know how deep, like I said, it goes with his relationship on there. There's just some stuff that just doesn't seem normal. But I mean, if you don't really have friends in the first place, but it's so hard because he accounts from all the FBI agents that messaged hoover about these scandals and things like we'll, we'll go get them for you and hoover's like no don't worry about it and i'm just like man i'm like even if that's fear it makes it really hard to distinguish whether people liked you or not especially when you're looking at a document or letters about you the fbi had and still has voluminous documents of a lot of hidden things about old hollywood about stuff today, which I'm sure is not on their regular FBI website. Oh man, I would love to get into a lot of that stuff. Let's do it. Let's break into the archives. <laughs> well, this time you see the thing is, it's not like those guys, what was that? Uh, I believe it happened in New Hope, Pennsylvania. In the early 1970s, when a group uh, of, uh, of a left-wing or a left-wing group, liberal group came out and and broke into, I believe, an FBI document office. That's what I, I think said. That was that's, in New Hope, Pennsylvania. That's yeah. what I was talking about. That was a time you could do that. But the thing is, they were able to <coughs> break in, reveal all this stuff. Hey, look what he did. He hates. He hates. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King. He hates uh, you know, all this crap. He has his black bag jobs where he's bugging uh, everybody and his mother, uh, who he thinks are against him and his personality cult, and uh, he slanders with the communist brush who, who who are just liberals who are not anybody. Uh. But the thing is that nowadays it's a different story. You don't have to break into any. Remember, it's the 21st century. You don't have to break into anybody's office or building stored with files. That's what this unit we're on is I know, all yeah. about. You break <laughs> you through can, a firewall and you get killed in you 10 minutes. Go right in there, and that's and that's the way 
you do it. Unfortunately, we got a lot of bad actors from communist China who are doing that all the goddamn time. Top 10 pages on Facebook are Russian disinformation pages. And the top one is my baby daddy ain't shit. Oh, man. They choose words that um, would connect with an American audience. And sadly, a lot of single moms, um, a lot of Christian faith pages as well, too, are run by Russian troll farms. Um, there's a whole list of it. And Zuckerberg even talks talked about it briefly on Rogan that some of the top Facebook pages are Russian disinformation things. It makes it hard to tell what's real. And it's why we divisivize each other so much, which is like if you're a foreign country looking at how fast it will take for America to crumble itself apart. It happens pretty quickly, surprisingly. I know it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't trust half of AOL news. I mean, you take a look at AOL news, they're making up crap all the time because, you know, they're politically biased or what have you, or, or, or some of the, you know, some of the things they say. I mean, you could throw on practically anything now. You have to have multiple sources. You have to have some kind of backup there. You get, oh my God, he had this account over there. Da, da, da. He had, you know, he, he had this bogus account and all this other stuff, a bank account, and, and he's dealing with these bad actors, mother like. Maybe he is dealing with his bad actors. Maybe he's not dealing with, it would be nice to get some kind of multiple sources there to, to back things up. You cannot come to some kind of, you have to have a correlated point of view there. You have to say, oh, well, this person says, this person says, there's documented evidence there. There's witness evidence there. There's on the ground witness their evidence over there. That is the way you back up these things. That is where you come to some kind of, the American people have to come up to their own conclusions about these things. They can't just have somebody on an internet troll come over Boom. Here you go. See, he's our, you know, we won't say he's our enemy. Well, let me ask we'll you say, honestly, you know, Bob, we'll say, do you think I do a, do you think I do a pretty good job at it? I try and back stuff up with documentation and I talk to as many balanced perspectives as I possibly can, but it's also hard to break through the fact that I'm only 25 and any information that really comes, even if it's someone could be 90 saying the things I say and you'd be like, this guy's so intelligent, but then me being 25, it just gets kind of half listened to or chalked out the door because there obviously is there's age and experience, um, wisdom and experience, mostly when it comes to a person's value. But I think I've done a pretty damn good job. I, I, well, let's put it this way. I'm your, your I'm on your show. So I think you do a fantastic <laughs> job. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I'm not going to bite the hand to feed me. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, you know, no, uh, you could be honest about it. I mean, I appreciate the conversations we have. You give me the time. That's, that's what, that's what's important about things. I mean, most Who, people... whose bread I eat, his song I sing. Anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, seriously, it is about crafting out the time. I enjoy the conversations that we've had. So I had wanted to have you back on because I enjoyed our last one so much. And I enjoyed this. I love one being too. on. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of things. A lot of people like, you know, it's, we live in a world now where it's get something from this or get something from that. And it's like really difficult, surprisingly, just to ask someone to have a conversation. We don't do it a whole lot, and I feel like we would probably benefit more from it. A lot of it gets – I mean even people that I've talked to that have denied doing Fox News or anything of that sort, they're like, it's 20-minute bits. I was like, I, you can't have me break this down in 20-minute bits. It's got to be a full thing, and it's like, yeah, if you just hear somebody out, most of the time you can kind of start understanding – what a person's coming from and their viewpoints on things. Even if we don't agree about things, you still get down to a, a good conversation at least. This is not a totalitarian country. This is as far as you have a freedom to speak. You have the freedom to speak. Unless you, unless you go over the line and do criminal behavior and violence, you have a right to freedom of speech. That's the thing. You have a right to do, you know, we don't want you to incite riots, but it's the kind of thing you have a right to speak speak your mind you're not saying go out and kill someone this is if that that's different 
what you're saying, blah, 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 blah. This is the way I feel about this. These are what I, I come to the conclusion about. These are the facts I got. We present them. I just want to talk about Hillary Clinton's emails. That's it. Why can't <laughs> I talk about it? Maybe we can get into it somehow through the uh, net or something, you know, just get into it. I just emails. want to know. What, Why would I want to get into her emails? I do. <laughs> I want to know what she's been looking up. Oh, my God. I'm sure she probably crooked. sends uh, angry letters to herself about the Bill Clinton incident where she's just typing out her frustrations and then sending it to herself. That's what you do to release stress. She probably has a bunch of those just in her trash bin. I don't know. Let's put it this way. I mean, usually if you criticize Vladimir Putin, you end up uh, you end up uh, dead. And, uh, and and I'll tell you something. I mean, Putin's almost giving Hillary a run for her money. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know. You know, all these accidents happening with her friends. I don't know what's it's, going it's on. You just, know? It's just, we don't, we don't need to get into that. But it's just, to me, it's just her, her appearance for some reason. I just, when she starts talking, I go, I don't believe a single thing you say. I don't know why, but I just don't. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I don't believe what the hell she's talking about. And in the meantime. Yeah, uh, <laughs> please promote your links, Bob. Buy these and, uh, you know. I might as well. I mean, I, you know, it's tacky, tacky as all hell. But, you know, what the hell? Books. They look good. The books from McFarland Publishing. And, uh, and so you got anyway, poems and stuff. You also write short stories about Western novels as well, too. Right? I write Western novels. And unfortunately, I didn't bring those out here. Uh, my new one will be uh, it's not a Western novel. It's film history, Imperial Japan on screen, which uh, is about the films made by uh, Imperial Japan, especially during the war, from Japan as well as Hollywood, and some from England that I will be discussing. I've also writ uh, written the Westerns, uh, what were, yes, uh, Sidearm for Wolf, Wolfpack Publishing, uh, Sidearm, also McDermott 50, and my new one, Borderline. Uh, which is about a uh, an African American land agent trying to stop a range war in uh, in Colorado uh, around the turn of the century, and uh, it's exciting, and it has romance, and it has adventure, and uh, maybe a couple laugh lines, you know, but it's affordable and from Wolf Wolfpack Publishing on Amazon and everything Barnes and Noble website everything, you know all that other stuff. And I am a comedian as well. So uh, I like you know, it. I might as well say that, you know. Oh, my God. Uh, uh -huh. I, miss, I miss stand up, but I've done other things. So, you know, as it is. I'm going to link your links in the description, Bob, and you're welcome back on my show anytime. It's always a pleasure having you on. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode.